0: Um, our whole lives, we have been told and we are asked to create goals, right? I mean, you, you got to remember back when you were little, everybody's told you to figure out what you want to be when you grow up. That, that's like your goal. Like, who am I going to be? Am I going to be like a chef or am I going to be an astronaut or am I going to be a firefighter or am I going to be a doctor or nurse or um, what am I going to be? Stay home mom. Not me personally, but some people have that goal. Stay home mom. Or um, maybe it's to work at a school as a teacher, something that we're all called to do when we're little. And then you move into high school, and what do they ask you to do when you first start high school? You're asked to create your five-year goals. Or we had to, I had to. I had to write down what my five-year goals were as a freshman. As as a ninth grader, you have no clue what you wanna do. And in my mind, I thought, why are we creating five-year goals when high school's a four-year excursion? Um, I don't plan on being a fifth-year senior, not realizing they wanted you to kind of come up with possibly a goal for when you get out of high school. And then in college, you're kind of asked the same thing. You're you're called to make a degree, create a degree, um, figure out what your goals are for life, who you're going to be when you grow up. All these questions start rolling in your mind. Uh, I remember in college at the Art Institute where I first started out, we were asked to, to create a goal. And I said, I wanted to be the CEO of Disney. That's not a bad job, right? It'd be an awesome job. I mean, Disney kind of owns Hollywood. Disney owns the whole media industry. For the most part, even if you never knew that, they do. They own a lot more than just what's called Disney. They own a lot more. And I put that. A teacher failed me because she said my goal was unattainable and unachievable. Really kind of messed up. Uh, Not that it changed my... uh, my demeanor or my attitude. I'm the type that if you push, I push back. Uh, So I kind of gave that teacher a run for her money that whole year. And it was an ethics class. How great of a class that's going to be. But goals. And when I say goals, it's kind of what resolutions are, aren't they? Resolutions to start and to stop things. And sadly, some of us have already bailed on our resolutions. If you created resolutions in 23, guaranteed, it says one out of four in the first week will bail on their resolutions. And then 43% of people who create resolutions um, for this year will give up by February. Gone. Done. Uh, it's, it's pretty sad. Well, why is that? Why do people bail? Why do they give up on all of their, their resolutions and their goals for the coming year? I mean, don't we all want to be better? Don't we want to grow and, and mature and, and do more? Yeah, well, I kind of think it's that we don't know our why. Do we even understand our why? Do we know why we are doing this? Like, if this is important to my life, well, why am I really doing this? And I think that, and this is a whole side note, but I believe that it's the why should be Jesus, shouldn't it? Like, why I do what I do, it should be for the the cause of Christ. It should be, I want to be better because of Jesus. Well, what's the most famous verse in all of the world? John 3, 16. It says that, for God so loved the world, loved you, loved me, that he gave up his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, right? That is the most common, most spoken verse in all of the world. And that is our why. It's because God gave up his son so that we could be better, that we could grow, that we could be more. Shouldn't that be our why? I should be better so that, why is my phone going off? Who is, what in the world? Stop it. Tristan, I'm going to kill you. The why. No. Because I have a point to that in a minute that I can use. The why. The why is also your calling. You're called to more, right? You're called to be better. I mentioned Ephesians 4 says this to be continually renewed in the spirit of your mind, to put on the new self, the regenerated, renewed nature created in God's image in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. Our calling is to be new. Our calling is to be better. Our calling is to be growing. Our calling is to be like Christ in every single way, to be regenerated and renewed constantly in the image of God. So if we understand that we do this for Jesus, and we do this for our calling. We do this as a gratitude to say, thank you for saving me. Thank you for, for being uh, more, than, than, um, more than I could ever imagine. It should make us want to be better. And Jesus is about resolutions. Last week, I'll, I'll say this briefly. Last week, we talked about the resolution of spiritual health. That's the resolution that we all should have is spiritual health. We should all desire to expand and to grow the health of our spiritual side, our spiritual life. And that affects our physical and that affects our mental. And you need two things. You need a diet and you need to exercise. Well, what's the diet? The diet is to live on every single word that comes from the mouth of God. Everything that comes from God should be our diet and not the junk food of sin that we so give into a lot of the time because it corrupts and deceives And then we need to move from diet into exercise, which is the outward routine and the outward display to continually grow the spiritual muscles that we have. So what's today about? Well, what what is the resolution that we're going to talk about? I think it's found in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 says this. You can go to it, please. Says this in, in verse 22. If you have a Bible, bust it out. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. This is where we're going to land. This is where we're going to be the majority of the morning. And I love this passage. I love this experience that Jesus has. I think it's so valuable. They came to uh, verse 22, by the way. Uh, it's page 562. If you had the same Bible that I have. If you're in the Bible app, it's page one. Just saying. Straightforward. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. A bunch of people brought a blind man and begged him to touch him, to heal him. Correct? Um, A minute ago, My phone was going crazy, wasn't it? My phone was uh, out of hand because all of a sudden I got 12 messages, 12 texts instantly, right off the bat on this little device. Have you ever thought about Jesus in the way, like, what if all of a sudden these guys bring this blind man to Jesus and he was distracted? What would happen? What would be going on? I think that there would be crazy disappointment, there would be frustration, there would be a lack of love and care and kindness. All of these things would be going on if Jesus was distracted. There would be no miracle, would there? Would there be a miracle if these people all of a sudden showed up to Jesus and Jesus is like, "Hey,, uh, hold on one second. I got a text. I, I mean, this is, this is valuable. Or I need to see the score on the football game because I put a wager down on FanDuel and whatever you bet on, I just need to check the score. Uh, you, can he, he's been blind all his life. He can wait a few more minutes for me to take this call. There'd be no miracle. There'd be this perception of Christ as an unloving jerk this is our culture, isn't it? This is us. It's so sad that this is such a distracted, like we live in a distracted culture, that this thing has corrupted us in so many ways. I care more about uh, what is trending. And if my flashlight's on, uh, what is trending and what, what could possibly be in the future? What's the score of the game and what's in the past and what is highlighted and what is in my feed? And And on and on and on and playing video games. And and you know what? I can't just watch a, a streaming show and be in the present moment of that episode. I have to play a game at the same time or I've got to scroll on Instagram or I've got to look at this or I've got to look at that. I've got to do 50 million things all at once. This is the culture that we live in. We are horrible at being present, aren't we? We are. We're bad at it. I believe that that being present is such a foreign concept, lost concept, uh, more now than ever. I, I mean, lost like cassette tapes, writing a physical check. How about leaving your uh, doors and windows unlocked? How about your car? Leaving your car doors unlocked, your windows down, the keys in the cup holder. We would never think of doing that thing anymore. We, we, we wouldn't. We would automatically say, okay, the keys better be out of the car, the windows better be up, the doors better be shut, and I better hear the beep 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 beep. And we do it like five times to make sure that it is absolutely locked so no one jacks our vehicle. And then what we do is we have a routine. Some of us, I have now developed a routine, like I like uh like an obsessive, compulsive nature inside of me to do a track around my house making sure windows and doors are locked before I go to bed. All the lights off, everything is locked up. Like a dog, like (laughs) I'm just walking around this this track figuring out if everything is good to go. How about having no net on your trampoline? That's foreign now. We used to always jump on trampolines without a net. We used to always go down slides without being in an enclosed tube with the fear of falling off. <laughs> that was what our slides used to be. How about floppy disks? You remember floppy disks? Man, I thought about the ones that are like a loaf of bread, like the fat suckers with the circle in the middle. The, yeah, the true floppies. Or um, some of us remi- might remember a game called Pogs. I don't know if you ever played that. That was banned from schools. They were, they were stupid little like cardboard circles that you would try to pop over, flip over with little slammers, we called them. But we get so, so, so distracted all of the time. I see more of us searching online on our phones. You, you look over at a table and it's the mom and the dad and, and the, the daughter or the son and they're constantly on a screen. We're focused more on the stadium or the game. What we are so so packed, like the drawers of our dresser mind is so so packed with things that we can't add anything else in. It's so so bad, and I think it's so damaging too. And there's ripple effects to it. I might wake up one day and my kids might be out of the house and moved on and have families of their own before I even realize it. And I'm like, wait, where did the time go? They're gone. Well, if I put this down every now and again, I might actually have time with my children. Instead of saying, well, I want the time now that they're out of the house. Or as Christians, what Christians like to do, we love to think of the end times too much. And it's not about, like Jesus says, okay, the kingdom of heaven is near. Look towards the kingdom. Look towards what is ahead. Look towards heaven. Those are the things that God says to do, but we're we are we're called to not just be a servant waiting for the master's return. Like that's important, but we're also called to be servants who do not neglect the duties of the home. And I think we get so distracted on what is to come and what is the end times and what is the end of the world and all of the future things that we forget. Wait, I need to be growing in my relationship with Jesus in this moment very very, very moment and being present with him as well as being about what he asks me to do. It's being present. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still, be still. The other day, I've been kind of geeking out on a movie I watched this week called It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I watched it this week. Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I thought, ah, this could be good. I'm a Tom Hanks fan. I want to see how well he does as Fred Rogers. And so I watched this movie, and it blew me away this week. And I watched it actually by myself so that no one else would see me cry. <laughs> um, yeah, like 11 o'clock at night. And, and I remember there's one specific scene where it shows him on the set of, of the Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And he's, he's in the living room. And he's on one knee. And right in front of him is this little child. Little child who's physically impaired. He's got an oxygen tank and he's, he's swinging this sword around. He's super distracted and the parents are standing behind him and the parents are almost a little bit like embarrassed because this kid is not paying attention to Mr. Rogers and um, Mr. Rogers is trying to talk to the little boy and Mr. Rogers, it, it's, it's like the perfect, peaceful moment where he doesn't care what this kid is doing. He doesn't care that he's about to get whacked with this plastic sword or or what is going on. And he ends up just looking this little boy in the eyes. And I believe that there's actually a saying that I believe is true that that a, a man never stands taller when he's on his knees in front of a child. Meaning there's something special when a parent gets down at eye level with a child. And he doesn't just stand over this boy. He stands at eye level with this boy. And he's talking with this boy. And he says, "Um, I believe that you're strong on the inside. And I believe that you have uh, amazing strength. And I believe you have power. And all of these things, trying to encourage this little boy who is physically impaired. And a part of the scene goes away from this, this moment. And it shows the director talking with the rest of the crew. And the director actually makes a comment under her breath to the rest of the crew that says, um, Am I allowed to fire him? Because they were over an hour late episode. And then finally it moves on and the little boy gives Fred Rogers a hug and and the family leaves and they they get to shooting the episode. But why that blows me away and why I'm saying this at all is because guaranteed, what would we do? We would get distracted, wouldn't we? Our minds would get on the schedule and be like, oh, wait, sorry. Um, Nice to meet you. I've got an episode to shoot. I've got a schedule to keep. I've got people that are counting on me and we've got to create this moment. We've got to create this this thing and we've we've got to do this and we've got to do that and and I'm wasting time and they're mad at me. All of these distractions that would all boil and, and, and make us disconnect, wouldn't it? I mean, God says, be still, be still. God is about being present. Why did you think he even created a seventh day in the first place? What did he do on the seventh day? He just, he was like, hey, angels, come here. Come here, guys. Take a seat on the couch. Let's just watch. Let's just stand. Let's just survey the beauty that I have made and take it all in and be present in the moment. Not to rush into the eighth day or the ninth day or the 10th day. Let's just sit here in day seven and just enjoy. We don't know what that means to rest. We don't know what that means to stop. We don't know what it means to just enjoy. Side note, you know another name for the Holy Spirit? His precious spirit? Presence. Presence. Life is designed to be lived in the present. It is designed to be lived in the present. And so that is what the resolution that we're going to talk about today. What does it look like to be present? How do we be present? Because I desperately believe that this is what we need to do. We need to be present. Not about the past and not about the future, but about the moment present tense. Can we do that? And Jesus was a master at it. This dude knew how to be present. And this guy had people, thousands of people all the time around him. And they were stoked to see him. And they were excited to see him. And they wanted us to have him do this and that. And he could be this, um, he could have caused all of these things to go on at once. And instead of getting distracted by all of the things that were surrounding him, he always lived in the present. So let's go to Mark 8. Mark 8 verse 22 again. And I want to talk about what does it look like to be present? How do we get back to being present? Verse 22, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Verse 23, he took the blind man by the what? The hand. hand. Took the blind man by the hand. I was thinking about this. How, how weird would it be to be the blind guy and somebody automatically just grab your hand that you do not know? It'd be awkward, wouldn't it? At first it would be. I mean, all of a sudden your friends are like, hey, um, you're gonna be able to see in a few minutes. Can you just come with us? Yeah, just come on, let's go. And, and, and they usher him, they walk him over to where Jesus is. And Jesus doesn't say anything, doesn't do anything, except for all of a sudden he just reaches out and grabs this man's hand. Why? What does physical touch do? Physical touch is an amazing thing, especially for somebody who is helpless. It lowers the wall, doesn't it? It lowers the wall. It takes away the fear. It takes away the insecurity. It takes away um, the, the helplessness, the anxiety. It shows what? It shows value for the individual. Can you be present if you don't value value the individual? I don't think you can. Why do you think we're so distracted by all of these things all the time? Because we struggle with value. We don't, we, okay, we say we love each other. That's great. But the actions do not represent the words. They don't. So you have to show value. Jesus was showing value to this man, taking this man's hand, saying, hey, I care about you. I want to do something miraculous in your life. I want to not be distracted by everything that is going on, but I want to be about you. And and you are priceless, and you are valuable, and you are worth it. I absolutely love you. And you know what it's like when somebody doesn't, when they're not um, valuing you. They're not present in your life. They might be more present in their work, or they might be more present with their friends, or they might be more present... um, just in their own little world. We've all been there. And I think kids understand value way more than we do. And and you might say, well, my kids never play with a toy more than one day. I believe they still understand value a whole lot better than we do. My kids, they will save every drawing possible. If they see that their drawing is in the trash that they gave you, they're ticked. They know, they're like, wait, you didn't value my drawing? And they, they save stacks and stacks of drawings. And they save the rattiest, most trash toy ever. They're like, can I please toss this thing? That plastic is moldy. I don't even know how plastic can get moldy, but it's moldy. I want to toss it. I want to throw every blanket and pillow and everything that they've got. Right now, I just built shelves in my son's room. And I want to purge everything in that sucker. Like, there are so many toys that he does not play with. I want to get rid of them. But that kid understands value because there's moments he's just like, I need to find the blue Lego. I'm like, the blue Lego? What? What's so cool about the blue Lego? He's like, there's a blue Lego that I need for this specific spot on this car or or plane or Star Wars thing. I need to have that blue Lego. And I'm like, hey, man, dude, There's there's a red one. There's a white one. There's a brown one. There's orange, you name the color, you've got that same Lego in that color and you've got like hundreds of blue ones. You can't trade it in for something else. He's like, no, 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 that one blue one. That's value, isn't it? He values that one blue Lego so much so he spends hours looking for it and it actually reminds me of our father. In Matthew 18, there's a um, a parable that Jesus gives about the lost sheep that says, you know, I'm going to leave the 99 and I'm going to go after the one, that we should be about the one, that we should go after the one. Because why? Because that one is so valuable and worth it and priceless to the shepherd, the father, the one who is God, that he's willing to put these 99 aside for the moment, just for a brief moment. And he trusts that nothing is going to happen to them. And he's going to go after the one, but there's, The end verse, I absolutely love because it shows that he's not just neglecting the 99. He's about the 99. And at the same time, he's about the one. Because it says this in verse 14. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones be lost. Any of the little ones should be lost. God absolutely values every single one of us. And if he values every single one of us, And he asks us to value every single one. And if we are going to learn to be present, we have to value whoever they are, even if they are the most annoying individual in in your whole life, you have to value that individual. You have to be present with that individual. You have to. Mark chapter eight, verse 23 continues. He took the blind man by the hand. And what does he do? That's weird that it's highlighted. I didn't highlight that. Let him outside the village. I think that's a little interesting, isn't it? He takes this guy's hand and he says, "Uh, you don't know me. It's a little awkward. Your hand's a little clammy. Okay, come with me. Come on. We're just going to go down the road. Just going to go over here. It's going to be okay. I'm going to go that way. It's going to be okay. Let's go. Why? Why does he do it? Robert? Distractions. He knew he could not do the miracle in the middle of a distraction. He knew that this town, Bethsaida, is actually, uh, Jesus actually condemns in another piece of scripture. He says, if the, um, if the miracles were done uh, in this other place, just as they were done in Bethsaida, then you know what? Their hearts would have been changed meaning that Jesus was doing miracles, Jesus was preaching, Jesus was doing so much in this town, this village, and no one cared about it. They all wanted to do their own thing and they all wanted to uh, be selfish and self-gratifying and go the other direction. He's like, that is full of distraction and I don't even wanna be here anymore. I wanna take you to a place that I can do what? I can focus on you. That's the second thing. you have to. But you also need to put focus on the individual. To be present is to focus. Do we focus? Are we about that? If my tablet turns, focus. Do you guys feel like you, uh, you have your mind full of noise when you're with somebody? Or do you feel like you, uh, you're completely focused in on them? Noise. Most of the time we're, we're full of noise. Most of the time we're about, like I said, the trend or the past or the, the highlight or the feed of a political figure or a celebrity or, or what the influencer is doing. And we're so distracted all of the time. And I believe, I've I've really been processing this. Like, how did, how do we get into a focal moment? How do we get into that place where we can just invest in the people that we're in front of as well as with God? Because even when I spend time with God, there's moments where I just cannot shut this down of what life is going on to be able to focus on what I'm reading and what I'm talking about and what I'm listening to with God. And I think the key is that what did Jesus do? He left. That's the key. And it's easier said than done. But in order to focus with the person that you are in front of or the people that you're with, being present with the people, you have to leave the stuff that is clouding your mind. You have to. And that might look a whole lot different for each one of us. That might be writing it down. Or, you know, it's training your mind to say, when I'm at work, I need to leave work there. When I'm um, with my friends, I need to leave that stuff with them. When when I'm at uh, dinner, I need to take this off of the table and out of my pocket and put in a drawer turned off. We have something called do not disturb on it. How often do we use it? Most of the time, we only use it at night when we actually just want rest, but we need to use do not disturb in other ways than just at night. You have to leave distractions for people that you gotta be in the moment. You gotta be in the moment. And then it continues, verse 23, took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village. And then it gets really interesting. He had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him and Jesus asked, do you see anything? Spit in the man's eyes, put his hands on him. It's almost like he's doing a science experiment. Like what's going to work? I think this is going to work. Even though it's not that he thinks it, it's going to work. He knows it's going to work. But what is he doing? He is single tasking. He's singular focused. He's singular tasking. Do you believe that's the thing? It should be. I talked with a a college student on Tuesday. There was this college student at a a front desk at a university I was at. And um, he tells me as as I'm getting to know him, he's like, man, I'm great at multitasking. I can listen to music right now and talk to you at the same time. I'm like, dude, that's not multitasking. That's just dumb. (laughs) I actually think I said that to him. But... What we call multitasking isn't technically multitasking. Uh, Let me get on a little rant. If I ever go to coffee, coffee with you, coffee, I can't even talk today. If I ever go to coffee or dinner or lunch, please take your earbuds out of your ear. Please, please. I'm not trying to be mean, but to me, I feel like you are not present with me. When I see this white little tube hanging out of your ear, I'm sorry. I'm afraid you're about to listen to music and tune me out or listening to a podcast or about to take a call. And I'm saying I'm just as responsible because what I do with my phone a lot of the time when I go to coffee or lunch or whatever, I take it out of my pocket and I set it on the table. That to me is also something that I need to learn to get better at because what that does is that tells me I'm more interested if there's a notification that comes on my phone. So I'm going to put it right in front of my face so that you are going to be second to what is going to happen on my phone in a minute possibly. And also it gets you distracted by what could possibly happen on my phone. And it makes me think of what time it is rather than investing in you. So if you just... Social skills, put the phone completely away out of sight. That's for me. Earbuds and headphones out. That's investing in being present in people. Yeah. But see, uh, but multitasking. Multitasking is a myth, complete myth. It's been proven it's a myth. What we call multitasking is actually switch tasking, it's switching from one task to another, it's switching from cooking in a moment to doing the dishes going back to cooking, doing the dishes, um, grabbing a cup of water for a kid. It's just moving from task to task to task to task. Here's something fascinating that I think that you should know. When you begin to switch tasks, when you begin to go from just a single momentary task to doing two tasks, your, your strength in that task proficiency in that task, productivity in that task, effort in that task, attention in that task drops by 43%. How insane is that? 43%, pretty much half. Half of your attention is gone, meaning that the original task that you were doing is not even given 100%. So even when you think about work in your jobs, when you begin to supposedly multitask, switching from this task to this task, task second test that you have started, or your third test that you've started, is only getting 50 percent of you. As a boss, that would irritate me. That would tell me that whatever your project that you've completed that you're handing to me was only 50 percent effort. That just tells me you were probably watching a football game and staring at your computer at the same time. I do that when I do graphic design sometimes. <laughs> I'll watch football, or Andy Griffith, because that for some reason I love that show. Every, it always ends happy. I love it. It's not depressing and no one's abducted, ever. (laughs) I feel like that's always the scenario in every show now. But I'm realizing that I'm not giving full attention to the designs that people, clients, free. when I do freelance, I'm not giving them 100% of my effort, 100% of my skill, 100% of my creativity goes out the window the minute I begin to do another task, which tells me that when we're with other people, what are we doing? When we try to multitask, switch tasks with other people, we're only given half of ourselves. What if Jesus was like that? I mean, you look at verse 23 and 24. Jesus asked, do you see anything? And the man replies, they look like trees walking around. What if Jesus was like, well, that's cool. I'm done. Job's done. Halfway. Good to go. I got other things. I got to talk to these disciples because clearly their faith is bad. And I got to talk to your friends that they did a great job bringing you. Um, I got some other things. I got some Pharisees that are total jerks and I got to take care of them. Like, what if he's like, oh, you know what? It's a little bit blurry, but at least you can see the doorway. Uh, and you know what? You can't drive, but, but at least you can put your shoes on now. They're just blobs, but it's okay. You kind of look at yourself in the mirror. You kind of know which way your hair goes. It'll be okay. But Jesus doesn't settle with that, does he? He doesn't say, I'm going to give it halfway. I'm going to give it half effort. You look at when he feeds the 5,000 and when he feeds the 4,000, there were, there were more basketfuls of food. That always fascinates me. When he feeds the 5,000, which is more like fifteen to 20,000 people, it actually says that they, they uh, collected 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Jesus not only does 100% of satisfying to where they have to loosen their belts, like Thanksgiving meal, they actually had leftovers. Leftovers. He goes 110, 120, 150, 200%. He goes way, way more. But he never settles. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. Do I want somebody only giving me half of their attention? Do I only want somebody that is possibly on their phone and talking to me at the same time? Do I want somebody that says, you know what, I got to cut this meeting short? Do I want somebody that just does not fully invest That's staring at everybody else in the shop or the restaurant or, or the house or, or whatever's going on and is so distracted, even in their minds? No. If I don't want that, then I should give full attention to the individuals that are right in front of me. Back to that movie I mentioned, Mr. Rogers, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. The, at the very beginning, this uh, journalist is called to write um, a piece on Mr. Rogers, the, the happiest uh, man in the world. And um, it's kind of like a hero piece. But this journalist is more of a, um, a dig deep, kind of, I'm going to expose all your deep, dark secrets, kind of a journalist. He's not looking forward to the job, but he calls up Mr. Rogers to set up an appointment to actually interview him, and I love what Mr. Rogers responds to because the journalist is like, well, I don't mean to keep you long on the phone. I'm sorry that, that I'm calling you at this moment. You're probably busy trying to um, kind of show some respect to him, but Fred Rogers just says, you know what? The most important thing I can do right now is talk to you, Lloyd Vogel. What? What? We don't ever respond like that ever. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got this to do. I'm busy. Thanks for understanding. I'm going to get off the phone now. And most of us actually, when we see a name pop up on our phones, we don't even respond to it. We get anxiety like, how long are they going to suck out of my life? They can go to voicemail. I'll listen to it later. Or we don't listen to voicemails anymore either. Voicemails seem to be dying as well. Send me a text. And then I'll respond two days later, two weeks later, uh, maybe two months later, depending on how serious and how valuable I think it is. But Jesus sees value, focuses, and has a singular task at hand. Verse 25, once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Clearly. Jesus loved this guy so much. He not only showed it by healing him, giving him sight, he showed it by giving value to this individual, giving focus to this individual, being about singular task and ultimately loving him in the midst of it all when he could have been so easily distracted and checked out. And I love the first three words. Once more, Jesus. Once more, Jesus. He, he showed this resolute desire to love and to care and to heal once more. And I pray that when you leave here today, you don't just say, okay, I'm going to be present with somebody today. I'm going to be present with my spouse or I'm going to be present with my friend or I'm going to be present with my kid or I'm going to be present with uh, the guy at Walmart or my, uh, I was going to say, the cashier, but we have self-checkout. I'm going to be present with that camera that stares at me awkwardly at the self-checkout. I'll be present with you. <laughs> I don't even know why they have cameras there. I get it, but I'm going to be present today. But that tells me once more means always. Always. Jesus wants more. You, all, all of us have interactions every single day of our lives. And I pray, that's the challenge for today. That's the challenge. That's what I'm asking you to do. That's what I'm asking you to put forth is to say, you know what? I am going to be present and allow Jesus to use me with the people that are right in front of me. Please, be present in people's lives. You don't know what it's gonna do to them when you actually choose to be present. You don't know how much of an impact you're gonna have in somebody's life when you're present. And when you're present, what happens? You learn more about that person. You become intrigued with that person. You become um, absolutely about that person and you show care and encouragement and, and so, so much appreciation. We need to be present. I'm tired of being checked out. I'm tired of it. I feel like my brain is so full to capacity, but I've done it to myself because of my phone and my computer, and work, and you name it. I told our kids, I told my kids, I never want them to see the church as work. I need to stop seeing the church as work. I need to just put it aside and you just, you know what? I need to stop. I need to leave my computer and I need to just go hang out with this person because I know for a fact they need me to be present in their life right now. Because that's what Jesus would do. Jesus did it for me. And we should do it for others. Let me pray. God, I pray that we begin to have an attitude of being present. Being in the moment. Seeing people as valuable. Seeing people as worth it. Seeing people as priceless. They deserve us. They don't deserve for us to be checked out. They don't deserve for us to be distracted. They don't deserve for us to be uh, void and, and missing. They deserve for us to be present. And however long that takes being present. Because that's when you work the most through us. Help us to uh, learn to take focus, uh, to, to stop distracted our minds, put focus on what we are, are right in front of. Help us to learn to put things aside and to to leave the village, to come out of the village and put focus on what we need to do and to be about a single task, one at a time. Not try to switch tasks around, not try to to cook and to clean and to do all these things, but really just focus on one thing at a time and do it well. It's time that we give 100% and not half. And today's a beautiful day. Thank you for the rain. Thank you that we're here. Thank you that we have an opportunity to read your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that actually gives us gives us the strength to be present. And thank you for everything that you're doing. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.